we took um, we took a few weeks break during the the Christmas holiday um, from Ephesians. Todd did one Sunday, and um, so we're going to continue. And just just to review again, Ephesians chapters one, two, and three are all about what God has done for you. It's about being in Christ. It's about you forming your identity in Christ. Chapters 4, 5, and 6 are the exhortations of actually living that out and what that looks like. And so this morning we are going to continue that. And, and it, this morning it, it's just the, the beginning part of, a, of I guess, a, a short series within a series of just the Christian lifestyle. What is our lifestyle supposed to be like? What does it look like? Specifically, I've been talking for a few months now about the theme of Ephesians and the theme of finding your identity in Christ. That that's who you are. Uh, Over and over and and over again in chapter 1, it refers to us being in Him, in Christ. And so we need... That's a little bit abstract. We need clarity. We need just concrete steps of, of what that looks like and what does that mean. We, you know, when, when we get up here and talk, we often we use a lot of abstract themes. And, and this morning, it's not abstract at all. It is just concrete, specific, real-life style uh, content. So if you are a Christian here this morning, um, I invite you just to... to Open your heart and your mind to God's Word. And if you are a guest and and you're not, I just encourage you just to try to think honestly and clearly about God's Word and and allow God to speak to you this morning. So we will begin um, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25. And we will read through the the whole section and then uh, we'll spend most of our time on one verse. All right? So this is Christian Lifestyle specifics. Number uh, verse 25. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. For we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupt talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for the building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice." Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. There are some amazing themes there in just how we are supposed to live our lives. The Christian community uh, of people who, who profess Christ, specific instructions on how we are to live and how we are to relate to one another. And so, we're going to to press down into these more deeply and try to give some insight in how this 
uh, impacts how we live. And so this morning, verse 25, we're going to examine falsehood and truth. And at first, at first we read this, um, the first impression is often just don't tell lies to one another and speak the truth. And what happens often is we're tempted to just give a, a moral exhortation to say, stop lying. Tell the truth. That's okay. It's incomplete. It's inadequate. Moral exhortations, just telling people to do something without understanding who you are in Christ, never works. It always works for the short term. It does not create a lifestyle. Um, years ago, just a quick story on this. Years ago, and I'm sorry it's getting cold, a little south wind coming, but we'll be tough. Years ago, um, this would have been 1982, 83, I don't know, I was 12 or 13 years old. And uh, my mom is, is, is and uh, was during this time just a very kind person. And um, this is in a small town, Washington State up in Port Townsend, and I had a neighbor, she was kind of kitty-cornered to us on the block, and her name was Mrs. Plouffe. And Mrs. Plouffe was an elderly woman who regularly needed help. And um, she lived by herself, had a dog and a cat. Um, she, she couldn't drive, she couldn't walk, and, and honestly, it's a very sad kind of situation. She would often fall down, and she, the only thing she could do was, like, call my mom or call me. And she'd be like, Brian, I need your help. And so I'd, I'd come up and pick her up off the floor and put her in her chair. And for months, and it got to the point where I dreaded it when Mrs. Plouffe called because I always knew I had to go up and help her. So anyway, so weeks and weeks, months, I, you know, I began to have a, a friendship with her. And one day she called me up and said that she'd, she'd ran out of food and asked if I'd go to the store for her and, and buy some milk and some cat and dog food. And I said, sure. And it just so happened this one particular day that I had a buddy with me. <clears throat> we go down to the Penny Saver grocery store and, um, and buy the stuff. And we, we check out. She, by the way, she gave us you know, money. I don't know what it was, 10 bucks or whatever, 1982. We got the change, walking out the store, out the door, and something to the left catches our eyes video games. We've got change from Mrs. Plouffe's milk <laughs> and cat food. What do we do? All right, so we succumb to the temptation, my buddy and I, and we spend all of her change on video games. Video games were cool back then. It cost a quarter. <clears throat> we had no idea until we got back what we were going to say to her. <clears throat> she, we get back, and she's like, where's my change? And we're like, oh, man. And of course, under a panic, <laughs> under a panic, we all lie. All right? So we, so we lied. And, um, and no, Joe, this story, this is just bad. So we lie. And, and we say, <laughs> my buddy, we say that we got mugged. <laughs> a good 13-year-old lie, right? We got mugged. And she's like, huh. She's old. I mean, old, old, old. Whatever, we go home, it's fine. We're, oh, we're like, oh, that's bad. A couple hours later, it gets worse. 
couple hours later, there's a knock on my door. Police. She called the police. I'm like, what the heck? And so my, but, uh, my first thought, that's how evil I was. My first thought was, my buddy was in the shower. How am I going to collaborate the story with him and have the same story for the police? So it gets, it gets even better. So we make, I lied, I lied to Mrs. Ploof, then I lied to the police. There was, there was, I was a bad boy. So there was a, there was a, at least when I grew up, like all the high school football players picked on the middle school kids, the junior high kids. And so like, well, who was this guy? And this one bully always picked on me. We, we said it was him. <laughs> and so anyway, so yeah, we were like, it was this guy. And um, police write it all down and all that. And so thankfully, though, um, I never got beat up by the guy. And uh, I never got in trouble for the police. <sighs> Just out there still somewhere in their police file that some guy they're looking for still. My point is this, I felt horrible, all right, I felt horrible. I lied to sweet old Mrs. Ploof, and then I lied to the, police, uh, to the policeman that came to our house. As bad as I felt, it did not make me stop telling lies, all right? So I can get up here and say, tell the truth all the time. And, and you might for a little while. You will never have the lifestyle Christ has called us to live until you first understand who you are in Christ. Until you understand that transformation happens from the inside out. And if you go back to the passage, verse 25 says, therefore. And so whenever you see a therefore, you have to go back. And we're going to go back to verse 22. And here's how change actually happens. Here is how Christian lifestyle can happen in your life. It involves taking off, putting on, and renewing. And that's what Paul says in verse 22. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created in the likeness of God, in true righteousness and holiness. Excuse me. That is, that is the uniqueness of the Christian lifestyle. It is not just an exhortation to do what's right. It is that, but it's more than that. The, the ethics in this passage you can find in any religion. It's the motive... That's distinct in Christianity. That it's as a result of knowing who you are in Christ. And so at the most basic level, you've got to understand who you are. Who you are. And if you are a believer this morning, you are in Christ. Your identity is in Christ. But what's required of you is the <coughs> renewing aspect that must happen as a routine of your life. There must be a taking off and a putting on, a renewing of your mind that who you are in Christ is the real you. And so this morning, 
We're going to just break this down in two different ways. And it's just, it's really interesting. And I hope I can be um, as clear as I want to be this morning. Paul begins, here's the exhortation. There's two. Put off all falsehood. Put off lying. Put off, and literally, put off the lie. The negative command. The positive is speak truth. The rationale for the commands is that we are all members of one body. Lying destroys community. Lying destroys trust. If it's with a friendship or a marriage, at work, anything that involves deceit and lying, trust is quickly eroded and relationships suffer. And so here's, here is, uh, here, here's how we'll break it down. Number one, reject the lie. Reject the lie and don't spread lies. And what that means then in a positive would be we're to love the truth. We are to love the truth. All levels in every area of our lives, we're to love the truth. Um, and one way to think about this is, is the ultimate lie. The ultimate lie we find, if you have your Bible, just turn. Actually, we're not going to turn this morning. Genesis chapter 3, the ultimate lie is a lie of idolatry. And there are endless angles that evil will work itself out in your life to push that lie upon you. The lie of idolatry is that your life will be much better with you in control instead of God. Your life will be more fulfilling, will be more happy, because you know what's best for your life. The lie of idolatry is the ultimate lie. And that's what started in the garden. We go back uh, in the story. Eve is, is tricked by the serpent. Adam willingly takes uh, the fruit. And immediately, they hide from God. They hide from God, and then they hide from each other. God intervenes, and Eve blames Adam. Adam blames the serpent, or excuse me, Adam blames, is that what he said? Adam blames Eve, Eve blames the serpent, and the serpent is the father of lies. John chapter 8, everything that is involved with lying or deceitfulness or the ultimate lie is found in, in Satan, in the evil one. In fact, we know the New Testament um, translation of his name is the accuser, the accuser. And we're going to explain that in just a little bit. The ultimate lie that we all struggle with is that you know what's best for your life. You are the one who can make the best choices. So this lie, the ultimate lie, and all lies come from Satan. As I said, in the New Testament, he's called the Diablo, the accuser. And we're going to look just a little bit about this. And here, if, here's one way to help you think about this. Falsehood, lying, is all about distorting reality. It's about distorting what is real. And that is, it is um, deceitfulness, lying, falsehood. It is one of the most effective and common ways that evil will work itself out in your life. It is the strategy to distort what's real. And here's a few ways that that happens, all right? Number one, the, the number one way or uh, several ways of, of how evil 
works itself in your life is, number one, by accusing you. By making you feel guilty, embarrassed, shameful for your past sins. It's about throwing accusations at you and accusing you of being a bad person, of making wrong choices, of being a failure. And we are all susceptible to this. Um, we're more susceptible in, in certain seasons of our lives. You know, I was talking um, in my Bible class, eighth grade Bible class this week about this, and about seasons when you're more susceptible. And um, my students brought up some interesting things. And they, they talked about um, if, they, if they did poorly on a test this week, or had a test and they did poorly on it, and they went home, and mom and dad were fighting. And maybe they had a fight with a friend at school that week. You are more susceptible during times of difficulty to bring up old accusations, to bring up the bad things you've done in the past. That is the effective strategy of the evil one, of how evil will work itself out in your life, to accuse you be constantly pointing out things in your life, the bad things you've done, instead of understanding who you are in Christ, instead of understanding that you are forgiven, that you are free, that you are a child of God. It's an effective strategy. Um, and it will never go away. The idea to make you feel bad, maybe you didn't even read your Bible this morning, and you feel a little bit guilty or shameful. Maybe, you didn't, maybe you, you've just done some silly things. And the goal is to keep bringing that up over and over and over again to beat you down. Another way that evil works itself out is, is, just, is to distort reality by just lying to you. To lying to you about who God is. Maybe we've had thoughts like this. Maybe this is funny, I don't know. <laughs> but something like this. If it feels that good, how could it be wrong? Right? If it feels that good, how could that be wrong? And you can use whatever. I'm not going to give any specific examples on this one. <laughs> how can something that feels so right be so wrong? These strategies work. We justify so much garbage by thinking lies like this. Another one, this is a different angle. And maybe this, is, this pushes deeper into this. But something like this, if God is really so good, why did he allow this bad thing to happen in my life? Satan will try to distort truth in your life. If God is really the, the kind and loving God the Bible talks about, why did my parents get divorced when, when I was four years old? If God is really the kind, loving, benevolent God, why did my brother die? Why did my dad die? Why am I failing my classes? Why did I lose my job? How come the deal didn't go through? I did everything right, 
I was honest, 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 while other people are cheating and lying, and I lose the deal. There are effective strategies that Satan will use, effective lies, to get you to doubt who God really is. The third one is that the evil one will distort reality by making you feel invaluable. This is kind of related to the the first one. But the idea of self-worth is crucial. And the worst that Satan can make you feel about yourself to push you down and destroy you and, and magnify your flaws. It's all about making you think God is not good, that God does not love you, that you're not valuable. How do I, I'm going to try to say this as, uh, as appropriately and as nicely as I can, but I think, it's, I think it's real. I think it's honest. We value certain things in our culture. Um, what, whatever, whatever the pretty girl is in your mind or the pretty girl is in our culture today, there is a certain exalting, exalting of that. And the same with the guys, whether it's healthy, fitness, thin, fit, whatever, versus the homely girl. Think about value. Who is more valued The lie is to lift up whatever the culture values at that particular time, whether it's fit, healthy-looking people, athletes, people that make money. Those are the valuable people. Poor people, not so much. Certain racial groups, it it works itself out. I'm telling you, it works itself out in every little area of life that we put value judgments on people. And, and there, the, the life trajectory of someone who feels invaluable at the age of 13, 14 will take a radically different path to someone that feels valued. The gospel says that all people are valuable, that all people are equally valuable. And we want to always, for some disgusting reason, we, like, we want to identify celebrity-type people we want to associate ourselves with those kinds of people. It makes us feel better about ourselves. It makes us feel like we're important because we're lacking importance. We're lacking an understanding of who you are in Christ. And so, specifically, even from this passage, all of these lies are about destroying the body of Christ. They're about pulling you away from who God is, about who God truly is. And... I, I honestly believe that there, there is a fight for truth. That you will have to fight for this to have it work itself out in your life. In Ephesians chapter 1, it goes on and on and on about the blessings, about who you are in Christ. All of the spiritual things. That, and here's maybe the most overarching one that's most significant is that you are a child of God, that you are fully loved, that you are fully forgiven, that you are totally accepted, just as you are. You are forgiven for future sins, 
you're forgiven for, for, for the most embarrassing thing you've ever done. And there is a fight for that, to push people down, to make them feel inadequate, to make them feel unworthy, to make them feel useless. And if that's not something you're struggling with right now, then that's great. But you need to have your eyes and ears open because people struggle deeply. Even in our church, I, I just know that there are people that maybe don't feel like they're in or they're trying to figure it out. And we cannot, we cannot be a place where we value certain people over others because of certain friendships they have or they feel like they're in. It is a distortion of truth. It's a distortion of God's word. All people, all people have value. Don't live, another way to say this would be to not live under the accusations of the curse. One other person said, I was reading this week, said you need to reverse the curse. The accusations, nonstop accusations about who you are. So that is related to the lie. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4.25, put away falsehood, put off the lie. Don't, and then, he, and then the, the, the sense is not to even speak lies to one another. Let me just give you a few examples. This is now changing gears to how we speak to each other. There are just bold, outright lies. Proverbs chapter 6 verse 16 says that God hates lying. It's one of the, there aren't too many things in the Bible that, that says that God hates this. God says he hates liars. The Bible also talks about false promises. We make false promises. We say something, but you never had any intention of keeping your word. This happens all the time whenever someone moves. Oh, yeah, I'll help, I'll help. No, you're not. Okay, and the worst thing you could ever do is like own a truck, right? If people move. <laughs> Brian Renner has a truck. <laughs> That's right. I don't. I have two, actually. Um, I, this, here's what happens. This, people sometimes say this, in this and I, I think it's sincere sometimes, but I'll never forget because I've had this happen a couple times. I, I went on mission trips. And um, this one guy said, yeah, I really want to see your pictures and hear all about your trip. I'm like, okay, cool. And he didn't. And then it was like a couple years later, no joke, this guy, and he's a great guy. He's like, I really want to see pictures of this trip. And I'm like, just, no, just don't say that. No, you don't. You can care. And here's the thing. It's kind of like looking at family pictures of someone. Else. I just don't want to look at, don't. Don't ask me to look at your family pictures. Like, we just, no one cares. It's your family. It's your mission trip. And so it's like, because what happens is, then you just make us, like, fake, which is another lie. You're like, oh, I'm really interested. Just, no, you're not. It's okay. All right? The next lie that we all use. So we've got bold, outright lies that we ought not do. False promises. Next, flattery. Flattery. You hope to make a good impression. So you just say a bunch of garbage, a bunch of lies that are not sincere. You're hoping to make a good impression. The reality is this, is that we must, as a community of people, realize that we are all tempted at certain times to just 
flat-out lie. And this morning, we don't have time to get into the why we do that. It's significant to think through. But these things happen in the church. False promises, flattery, false impressions. Uh, Acts chapter 5, uh, Ananias and Sapphira, uh, um, making a false impression. And God just drops him dead right there. <clears throat> Another way we do this often, this kind of relates to what I was talking about earlier, and this is maybe the most another dangerous thing, is we speak lies to ourselves. We allow self-deception. 1 Corinthians 3.18 says this, Let no one deceive himself. Let no one deceive himself. And we often think of ourselves in one of two extremes, either overly confident or inept. And we put ourselves down or we have an overinflated ego. One of my favorite stories of the overinflated ego is the story of the Princess Bride. When they're sitting at the table together and, and they're passing the poison back and forth. And the bold, arrogant Sicilian, is that right? Picks the wrong one. It's a beautiful picture of arrogance. We need to frame, you need to frame your life around the gospel. That enables you to be a truth speaker. And we're going to just wrap up with this. Paul continues, he says, put away falsehood, put away the lie. Don't speak lies to each other, but instead let each one of you speak the truth. Speak the truth, love the truth, value the truth in every area of your life. It is, it is a theme throughout Ephesians, and in Ephesians chapter 6 it's mentioned as, as a tool as a weapon against spiritual warfare. And this is, this is the fighting ground. The fighting ground is for truth. And we have to make a renewing habit, a, a lifestyle habit, to put off the old man, to put on the new man, to be truth livers, to be truth speakers. And this is difficult. Our, the, so much of our society is based on deception, and lying, it happens all the time. Um, if you're younger and, and you haven't figured this out yet, well, that's, that's nice. That means you're a very sweet person. But there is an ugly, ugly aspect to our world that most often deals with money. And people will lie. I, this probably happened, um, you know, my sweet soul got corrupted probably in my like late 20s. And um, we had a thing going on. One of my dear friends um, was having marriage problems, and it, it turned out that his wife was cheating on him. And it got to the point where it was just so ridiculous that she, she just kept lying about it. And, like, everyone knew, small town, and, and pretty much the whole town knew, but she just still wanted to lie. And people, people will lie to your face. People will do almost anything sometimes to save face, to save embarrassment, to save money, to save power. Paul is telling us that we are to be a community of people that are renewing ourselves in the truth. He says in chapter 1, the gospel is 
true. The gospel is that you're more flawed than you know, but that you're more accepted than you know. And we have to ask ourselves, are you, are you humble enough that people can speak truth to you? Are you, are you able even to speak truth to someone else? Here's what happens. Often, no one will, people are hesitant to, to accept truth, and people are hesitant to speak truth. It's very difficult to correct in the right way with truth, with lovingness and with gentleness, to speak truth. Um, there's, there's a saying that, that as teachers we all know, and you've all heard since you were five years old, that isn't quite right. It's mostly right. It's not quite right. And that is, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. Sometimes... Here's the truth. Sometimes you need to say the hard things to people. The truth is, we all need the truth. The truth is, is that sometimes the truth hurts. And here's why the truth hurts sometimes. It makes you vulnerable. It makes you vulnerable. It it makes you conform to what is real. The temptation for all of us is to hide sin All the way back, Genesis chapter 3, from the very beginning, people run from God, and we run from each other. The real you, God accepts. The real you, we need to be a community of people that is accepting and tolerant, but not tolerant to the place where we ignore sin. And what happens is, when, when groups of people don't value truth, you start moving towards playing church. We're just playing games because no one ever wants to get real. And we start becoming a, an outward religious organization that doesn't ever deal honestly with our own problems. The truth brings life. The truth brings freedom. And the truth is, as the gospel says, that we're all in need of a Savior. And that in Christ, you are forgiven. You are a child of God. We're going to finish. Is is Todd here? Can you get that going, Renner? We're going to finish with this short video. It's four minutes, then we're going to worship. And it's been all over the Internet, so I'm sure most of you have seen it. But if you have not, here's what I want to clarify. Everyone's all excited? Here's what I want to clarify. Maybe it's because he's, he must be a lot better looking than I am, right? He's a young guy. All the girls, everyone's excited. All right, sh- um, last, last, you look at my classroom, you're like, ooh, shh. <laughs> last thing I'm going to say. There's one part of this, there's a lot of good stuff, but there's one part of this that connects to exactly what we're talking about. Towards the middle or in, he talks about religion or outward or we can call corrupt religion always wants to hide sin. We always want to hide. Don't, you cannot be surprised about this in your own life. Genesis chapter 3, from the beginning of time, we want to run from the truth. We want to run from our sin. We want to hide from our sin. We want to hide our sin from each other. And the gospel says, come home.
come home to a place where you don't have to play games, where you can deal with issues of your heart and find healing, find restoration, find freedom only in Jesus. All right? Can, this, can we make this thing work? What if I told you Jesus came to abolish religion? What if I told you voting Republican really wasn't his mission? What if I told you Republican doesn't automatically mean Christian, and just because you call some people blind doesn't automatically give you vision? I mean, if religion is so great, why has it started so many wars? Why does it build huge churches, but fails to feed the poor? Tell single moms God doesn't love them if they've ever had a divorce, but in the Old Testament, God actually calls religious people whores. Religion might preach grace, but another thing they practice. To the ridicule God's people, they did it to John the Baptist. They can't fix their problems, and so they just mask it, not realizing religion is like spraying perfume on a casket. See, the problem with religion is it never gets to the core. It's just behavior modification, like a long list of chores. Like, let's dress up the outside, make it look nice and neat. But it's funny, that's what they used to do to mummies while the corpse rots underneath. Now I ain't judging, I'm just saying, quit putting on a fake look. Because there's a problem if people only know that you're a Christian by your Facebook. I mean, in every other aspect of life, you know that logic's unworthy. It's like saying you play for the Lakers just because you bought a jersey. See, this was me too, but no one seemed to be on me. Acting like a church kid while addicted to pornography. See, on Sunday I'd go to church, but Saturday getting faded acting if I was simply created to just have sex and get wasted. See, I spent my whole life building this facade of neatness, but now that I know Jesus, I boast in my weakness. Because if grace is water, then the church should be an ocean. It's not a museum for good people, it's a hospital for the broken. Which means I don't have to hide my failure, I don't have to hide my sin. Because it doesn't depend on me, it depends on him. See, because when I was God's enemy, and certainly not a fan, he looked down and said, I want that man. Which is why Jesus hated religion, and for it he called them fools. Don't you see so much better than just following some rules? Now let me clarify. I love the church, I love the Bible, and yes, I believe in sin. But if Jesus came to your church, would they actually let him in? See, remember he was called a glutton and a drunkard by religious men. But the Son of God never supports self-righteousness, not now, not then. Now back to the point, one thing is vital to mention. How Jesus and religion are on opposite spectrums. See, one's the work of God, and one's a man-made invention. See, one is the cure, but the other is the infection. See, because religion says do. Jesus says done. Religion says slave. Jesus says son. Religion puts you in bondage, while Jesus sets you free. Religion makes you blind, but Jesus makes you see. And that's why religion and Jesus are two different clans. Religion is man searching for God. Christianity is God searching for man. Which is why salvation is freely mine, and forgiveness is my own. Not based on my merits, but Jesus' obedience alone. Because he took the crown of thorns and the blood dripped down his face. He took what we all deserve. I guess that's why you call it grace. And while being murdered, he yelled, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Because when he was dangling on that cross, he was thinking of you. And he absorbed all your sin, and he buried it in the tomb, which is why I'm kneeling at the cross saying, come on, there's room. So for religion, no, I hate it. In fact, I literally resent it. Because when Jesus said, it is finished, I believe he meant it. <clears throat> All right, I'm going to pray.
But before we do, um, we're going to worship after I pray. And during worship, if you just need, if you just need to be still and, and embrace his love, do that this morning. If, if you've been living under the curse, if you've been feeling accused, if you've been feeling inadequate, invaluable, like a failure, renew yourself in Jesus this morning. And if you've been spreading lies and saying bad things about people, you just need to stop. And the only way you will do that is to put off the old man and renew yourself in Jesus. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for the clarity of it. I just pray that if there is anyone here this morning, Father, that is living under the, the lie, that's feeling oppressed, isolated, lonely, or not like they're valued, that you'd speak to them, that you'd bring comfort and peace and remind them that you are the Heavenly Father who is reaching out to them through the power of your Spirit and what your Son Jesus did on the cross. And Father, I pray that if there is anyone here this morning that's just saying bad things and, and, not, and, and spreading lies, that, that your Holy Spirit would just convict them and bring about repentance. Father, we want to be a place that we're dealing honestly with things in our lives. As we worship, we want to bring all of who we are to you and say thank you for your son Jesus. In your name, amen.